Uh, my name's Josh. If we haven't met, as Josh said earlier, different Josh, confusing. Um, I'm one of the student ministers, and uh, yesterday I decided it would be a great thing to move house when there's going to be somewhat of a heat wave going on. So uh, we might need to pray, pray that God would open our hearts, but also that I'll have energy uh, to preach. Uh, I was also a little bit sick yesterday, but when you plan something, you've just got to go through with it, right? So we did it. Uh, Let's pray and let's get into this amazing part of God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Word, and we pray that you might teach us through it now. Father, we pray that you might comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sickness. Today we meet two men overwhelmed by sickness. One man, his son, is about to die, and another man has been paralyzed for 38 years. Sickness plagued the world when Jesus walked the earth, and it still plagues our world today. About three years ago, my son, Michael, was born, uh, and like any birthing situation, it was pretty intense, uh, but thankfully, Michael was born healthy. He was a good weight. He had 10 fingers, 10 toes. Everything was all good. Uh, my wife, Elizabeth, though shattered, she was healthy too. Uh, but about 12 hours later at midnight, my son started to have a raging fever. He was wheezing, struggling to breathe. Uh, and it quickly became clear that things were not okay. And so we rushed from the birthing center to the hospital and he got loaded up with tubes all on him and wires coming off him. And it was to help him breathe and to monitor his situation. And eventually it became clear that my son had group B streptococcus. If you don't know what that is, it's fine. Uh, but he had septicemia in his lung. Oh, he had pneumonia in his lungs, septicemia in his blood. Uh, it was a scary situation. But thankfully, due to the early pickup and interventions, he had a full recovery. He was able to be fully recovered. But I remember along the journey, a lady said to me, welcome to the life of a parent. She said, welcome to the life of a parent. What she meant by that was that this wouldn't be the first or last time, or rather, it wouldn't be the last time that we'd be worried about Micah's sickness. It wouldn't be the last time that we cried and worried and mourned about his health. He fully recovered this situation, and yet recovery in this world is only ever temporary. We recover only to get sick again until one day we no longer recover. And so like these men in our passage today, we have the same problem. Either we are sick today or we know someone who is sick or one day we will be sick. And so we must ask the question, who can heal our sicknesses? And of course, the quality of our medicine today is incredible. Uh, My father-in-law is about to get a hip replacement. I have a friend currently going through chemotherapy to get rid of her cancer. And so in one situation, or one case, you might say, well, medicine can heal my sicknesses. But even in these situations, our healing isn't certain, It's still only a probability, and it's only ever temporary. Even in these situations, we're still left with the question, who can heal my sickness? And in our passage today, we see the answer, that Jesus can heal our sicknesses forever. 
Now, our passage today comes in John's gospel. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of his 12 apostles. He saw Jesus' life for three years. They lived together. They were practically housemates. And at the end of these three years, John concluded that Jesus is God. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? Uh, I, uh, before I was married, I lived alongside some of my best friends. We had a lot of fun. But we also saw one another's imperfections. We saw chores left undone, grumpy wake-ups. I'm sure you can list off more of your own flatmates or scenarios. I think it's more likely that housemates conclude that their housemates are the devil rather than God. But John, after living alongside Jesus for three years, he concludes that Jesus is God. And he writes this book so that you too might find out and see that Jesus is God too. Last week, we saw Jesus turn water into wine. But Jesus does more than just throw a great party. Jesus can heal us. And so come with me to the first story, chapter 4, verse 46. And in this first encounter, we see a household healed forever. Let's see the situation in verse 46. Then he, Jesus that is, went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judah into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son, for he was about to die. So the situation, we see Jesus, he enters Cana. This is where he turned water into wine. We saw this last week in chapter 2. And this royal official, he's obviously heard the news about Jesus. He can perform great miracles. And so he comes from Capernaum, a different city, looking for Jesus. This man wasn't looking for religion, and he wasn't looking for a savior. He was just looking for a miracle worker, someone who could heal his son, And so he travels from Capernaum to Cana to get Jesus. And how does Jesus respond? Verse 48. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Huh? What's going on here? Doesn't that response seem a bit harsh? Isn't this man just doing what any loving parent would do? He's trying to get his son healed. What's going on? But read read verse 48 closely. Who is Jesus speaking to here? It says Jesus told him, that is the royal official. But Jesus also says in his words, you people, you people will never believe. Jesus is both rebuking the crowd around this man and the man himself for just wanting signs and wonders. These people are treating signs and wonders like miracles something that is amazing, but that has no greater purpose than the miracle itself. These people want a magician, someone to uh, solve their situations, not a savior. But Jesus doesn't do miracles. He does signs. Jesus' signs point to something more important than the current situation. Jesus' signs point to his divinity and to how he will restore creation forever. And so Jesus doesn't just do signs so that people can be healed temporarily. Rather, Jesus does signs 
so that people can be healed forever. But this man is persistent, and so verse 49, he says, Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him, your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. Amazing, isn't it? Jesus grants this man's request. What does he? What was the official asking him for? In verse 49, the official asked Jesus to come down to Capernaum to heal his son. The official couldn't imagine Jesus healing him any other way. Who could? A doctor needs to be in the room to heal a patient. So surely Jesus needs to be next to his son to heal him. But Jesus, without even seeing the boy, says his son will live. It's amazing. But Jesus doesn't perform a sign yet. Jesus only offers his word. Previously, Jesus accused the crowd and this man that no one believes unless they see a sign. And so Jesus is testing the official here. Will he be like the crowd who constantly asks for more signs to believe? Or will he follow the signs he's already heard about and believe in Jesus himself? Amazingly, the official believes Jesus' words we see in verse 50, but he doesn't believe in Jesus himself yet. He's only believing that Jesus' word, that his son will be healed. And so the question is, will Jesus' word come true? Is Jesus' word trustworthy? Verse 51. While he was still going down, his slaves met him, saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what time he got better. Yesterday at seven in the morning, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. Then he himself believed along with his whole household. This, therefore, was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. The official hears that his boy is alive, just like Jesus said. But this man is like us. He's skeptical. He doesn't just have blind faith in Jesus. He investigates when the boy actually got healed. You can imagine he's thinking, did Jesus just get lucky? Is this just a coincidence that he is healed? But there was no luck involved. The boy was healed at the exact hour that Jesus had this conversation with the man. Jesus can heal another, can heal a boy in another city with a word. And Jesus isn't just a healer. He isn't just a doctor, but he's God. And so the official and his household believe. Previously, the official believed in Jesus' word, or previously he believed that Jesus could heal. But now he believes in Jesus himself. And brothers and sisters, don't just marvel at what Jesus can do. Rather, like the official, follow the sign to Jesus himself. If the official only marveled at Jesus' healing of his son, then he and his family would be healed temporarily. But sickness would come again. Death would come again and they would have no hope in it. 
But the official and his household followed the sign to believe in Jesus himself, and they were healed forever. That means that now, although they might experience sickness, and although death is still a reality for them, they can be sure that death and sickness won't win. One day, Jesus will raise them to new life in a perfect creation where there's no more sickness and death. Imagine seeing a sign that said, turn around, a cliff ahead. Only a fool would look at that sign and say, wow, there's a cliff ahead. That's so interesting. And continue driving that way straight off the cliff. Don't be a fool. Don't just marvel at what Jesus can do here today and continue on with your life. Rather, like the official, follow the sign to Jesus himself and be healed forever. That's the first encounter we see, a household healed forever. And in our second encounter, we see a paralytic healed, but remains broken. Verses 1 to 4 describe the situation. Jesus comes to a pool where there's a bunch of sick people waiting to get healed. And if you've got a Bible, you'll notice something rather interesting in front of you. You'll notice that at the end of verse 4 or the start of verse 5, you should see a little footnote, a small letter, around a bunch of words that are in brackets. We had it read for us, and you might ask, what's going on here? Why are these words in brackets? And if you look there at that little footnote, I think it might be K, uh, and you follow down to the bottom of your page, you'll see something that reads like, Other manuscripts omit bracketed text. Basically, this footnote is telling you that these words aren't in the oldest and best manuscripts. Now, at first, that might seem a bit concerning. There's a difference between the manuscripts of John's Gospels. What's going on here? But the more you think about it, I think this is actually incredibly encouraging. Because you realize that our faith is rooted in history. This isn't just fairy tales, and the Bible hasn't just popped out of the sky down before us to hear today. But these are true stories written down by people like John, and then copied by other people so that more people could read John's account about Jesus. And so that means that many people have copied John's account here so that we can read about it. And for the New Testament, we have thousands of manuscripts. And there's amazing agreement between these different manuscripts. However, with thousands of manuscripts, that also means that there's bound to be some differences. These copyists were human, and they can make mistakes. But these differences can be compared, and almost always we can tell what was originally written by the author. And in a few places where we can't, like maybe here today, there's a bit of dispute. No significant historical or doctrinal issue is at stake. They're just things on the side. But as we look at our passage here today, it seems like the best manuscripts don't include verse 4. That's why they have it in brackets. They're trying to signal something to you. It seems like some manuscripts are trying to explain why so many sick people were surrounding the pool and how maybe some people got healed at this pool. But this bracket and note, however, the bracket and note indicate this verse probably wasn't written by John. 
Because John wasn't worried about whether or not this pool actually healed people. Rather, John wanted to show us how Jesus actually healed people. That was what John was concerned with, what Jesus was doing. And so in a sea of sick people, we meet one sick person in verse 5. Verse 5, one man was there who had been sick for 38 years. John doesn't tell us the sickness, but from verse 7, it seems clear that the man is paralyzed, unable to walk, and because he can't get himself into the pool. This man has been paralyzed for 38 years, and he has no one around to help him. He's completely helpless. And Jesus comes to him and asks the weirdest question. Look at verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? What an odd question, isn't it? Jesus knows this man has been sick for 38 years, and he asks, Do you want to get well? Surely the answer is obvious. Yes, Jesus, I do want to get well. Can you please heal me? But the problem is, this paralyzed man doesn't know who he's talking to. And so in verse 7, this man starts talking about the pool again. Sir, the man, sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. This man is obsessed with the pool, not aware of who is standing right in front of him. And so Jesus shows him that he is far greater than any magical pool or potential folk story. In verse 8, he says, Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Miraculously, this man is instantly healed of his sickness, and he's able to walk. He's healed by Jesus simply speaking. When Jesus commands commands things, it happens. It's amazing. When I command things, I struggle to make anything happen. I tell my kids, clean up the bedroom. Clean up the floor. Like 30% happens. When Jesus commands something, instantly muscle fibers grow. Nervous systems restored. People experience this sign firsthand, and a paralytic is healed of his paralysis. But the question is, how will people respond to this sign? Will they see what the sign is pointing to? In verses 9 to 13, we see how the Jews respond. They start squabbling over their laws. But the real problem isn't whether a law has been broken. The real problem is how they respond to the sign. This man has been sick for 38 years, unable to walk. They should have said, wow, you are healed. Praise God. How did that happen? Who is this man? Can we meet him? But instead, they squabble over whether he should be carrying his mat. Unfortunately, The healed man doesn't respond any better. Look at verse 14. After this, Jesus found him in the temple complex and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore 
so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. This healed man, he finds out who it is that healed him, Jesus. But instead of thanking him or believing in him like the royal official, like we saw just before, he goes and reports it to the Jews who are trying to kill Jesus, that it was Jesus who did this. This is the same Jews who would eventually cry out for Jesus' crucifixion. And so what is this man doing here? What is he doing going and reporting it to the Jews? Is he naive, unaware of what the Jews are trying to do? Or is he just a betrayer? It's hard to say for sure. But what we can say for sure is that he failed to see the sign. Jesus healed his sickness and he failed to see God standing right in front of him. And brothers and sisters, this is an important point because people often say, oh, if God would just come down and do a miracle in front of me, then I'll believe in him. But people can see miracles and still reject God. We see this in our story. This man is healed of his 38-year sickness and still he fails to see who Jesus is. Brothers and sisters, Jesus doesn't promise physical healing to every one of us here today. But he does offer spiritual healing to every one of us here today. Have you accepted this healing? Are you trusting in Jesus? Because one day he promises that this spiritual healing will lead to physical healing in the new creation. Complete, utter, never to be sick again. Now that doesn't mean we should brush over our sickness today. So often we try to find a silver lining in sickness. We try to say, oh, it wasn't that bad. And what about this and that? And what about instead of trying to find a silver lining, why not lament the sickness? Why not mourn the broken world we live in? We can only properly look forward to the new creation when we first properly mourn this world we live in. As we wrap up, um, my Elizabeth, my wife, she made a, a fun photo album of Micah and me, my son, for my first Father's Day. Uh, the book is called Micah Loves Dad. Uh, it's an amazing book, coming to bookshelves near you, I'm sure. Uh, Elizabeth did an amazing job. Micah and I love it. Uh, but partway through the book, there's some photos of Micah when he was in hospital. Uh, you can put it up there now, Eddie. Uh, it may be a little bit hard to see there, but hopefully you can see me there on the side. There's Micah with tubes and everything over his face, his monitoring equipment. Uh, And we would read through this book and we'd get to this page where these photos would show up. And Michael would pout. He'd become visibly angry and you could see him. And he would say, I don't like those photos. He didn't like seeing himself sick. And fear enough, no one likes being sick. But every time we saw the photo, there were also some words below it. My wife had written, God's hope through Jesus is better than life. Our God is with us in trouble and strife. And so slowly, Micah's attitude to the photos of him being sick changed. 
Because we'd keep reading, God's hope through Jesus is better than life. Our God is with us in trouble and strife. And Micah saw the end of the story. He saw that he was healed in the end. And so now when we read the book, Micah can joyfully point out, that was when I was sick. His attitude's changed because he knows the end of the story. And so too for us here today, we can even joyfully mourn our current sicknesses because God has told us the end of the story. God has shown us through Jesus he can heal every sickness. Jesus can heal a man's son. Jesus can heal paralytics. But brothers and sisters, don't just look for temporary healing on this earth, but look for permanent healing and then the new creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, our great healer. Thank you that he has come to do more than heal our temporary sicknesses, but he has come to heal us permanently. Help us continue to trust in Jesus as we await your new creation, where there will be no more sickness, mourning or pain. In Jesus' name, amen.